Hey, what's up, everybody? My name is Mark. I'm from Bench Units. We are piling out an episode mid-Paralympics, even though I'm tragically left without my usual co-host, who is busy hanging out with his real friends somewhere in Tokyo. Uh, James isn't here. This is my first episode ever doing this without him, but it gives me some license to say whatever I want without fear of him getting in trouble and having his athlete funding taken off him. So stand by for that. Um, I'm joined by a hand-picked co-host of James's Choosing. Uh, he's been a Bench Units guest before, and apparently he didn't think being a guest on a podcast in his second language was enough of a challenge, so he's back to co-host in his second language. So welcome to Mendel, whose second name I'm pretty sure I butchered last time, so I'm going to let him introduce himself. Uh, yeah, hi. Um, it's nice, nice to be here. It's an honor to, uh, to replace James. It's going to be uh, hard to fill in. Yeah, how many podcasts you guys you guys have? So <laughs> it's funny actually. I um, when I was checking that our episodes because we re-uploaded the episodes with Rose and Amy that are really old, and I mm -hmm. went back on the Spotify feed of our podcast to um, to check that they'd uploaded properly. And under the categories, it doesn't mention sport or basketball; it just says comedy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure I didn't set it up like that. So maybe somebody at um, Spotify has listened to it and been like, "Yeah, these guys can't be serious." <laughs> Um, that sounds about right, though. You guys are pretty fun. <laughs> thanks, man. I appreciate it. Um, so I went back and listened to the episode where you were a guest, and because I wanted to get a feel for what you'd said when you joined us, wow. one of the things you um, described yours and James's relationship as being like more long lost brothers than anything else. So I think you uh, becoming the co-host for this, we're kind of long lost triplets at, at this stage. Um, me and you have obviously been texting this week to kind of get some ideas together of what we're going to talk about. And I feel like I'm, I'm gradually nudging my way, my way in there and replacing James in your books. <laughs> I feel like I've, we've been mostly texting just because we needed some outlet for our <laughs> basketball thoughts more than anything else. Yeah, that was completely it. James was like, hey, you guys will both struggle without me. Talk to each other and you'll be fine. I, was, I wasn't sure if it was just because James was very busy that he ignored my texts or because it's because of the time difference, but it was, he, it was good to have you. He's, um, he's terrible for replying to texts anyway. He's actually, bizarrely, he's better at replying in Tokyo because <laughs> he, he has nothing to do. Whereas like, anytime he's home, you text him and you get, an, you get a response somewhere between four and 20 hours later. That's, yeah. that's enough about us, probably. Yeah, we're here. Um, we've been like you say we've been covering all our basketball thoughts with each other during the group stages of Paralympics which has gone by really fast we're about a week into it now yeah um there is a bench unit sub stack account where I've been painstakingly um breaking down the games if anyone wants to go and read we're going to do our best to stay away from kind of game to game specific stuff because we don't want to retread uh, our old ground so we're going to have a quick look ahead to what's coming up, which in the case of the women is the semifinals as the quarterfinals have just been played today. And in the case of the men, we got the quarterfinals coming up tomorrow. So we've, we're a day late on the women's because we were originally looking at recording this yesterday. Um, Mendel is slightly unlike James in that he has other plans and a real <laughs> life to live rather than sitting around talking to me on record. So we're a day behind on the women, so we're just going to dive straight into what we've got coming up in the semifinals. So you got some skin in the game, Mendel. Your, your Dutch women are right there, and your former teammate Rose Holloman is right there as well. So I'll leave it up to you as to which of the games you want to pick first. 
Yeah, it's been a lot of fun watching watching both Rose and, and our girls play. Um, especially that first game that they played each other. It was like one of the highest level women's games I've ever seen. Like it yeah. was really cool to watch. Um, so let's first do the Dutch the Dutch team then. They're playing Germany, right? That's correct. If the Dutch bubble was anything to go by uh, a couple of weeks ago, the Dutch should should like take that one. Yeah, but I yeah. I imagine the German team also using that as as useful prep to go into those games. So it's going to yeah. be interesting to see. Definitely, you're just um, you're just bringing up the Dutch bubble. You specifically told me you didn't want to talk about the Dutch bubble when we recorded because you you didn't want to come off as um, as showing off after you did did your Godzilla impression all over the teams <laughs> on the men's <laughs> side. Of um, yeah, the. The Dutch and German thing is really interesting because I think from the games we've seen so far, the Dutch women's kind of go-to move has been size um, mm -hmm. against both the USA and against China, although they, they ended up losing to China in the pool. Their advantage is size. Germany are about probably the one other team in the women's tournament who can maybe match them size-wise. Yeah. Um, Marijke and Katrina Lang have both been pretty effective for Germany. You were obviously there for the Dutch bubble. So do you think, is this a different level of play for, for either of these teams versus their prep games? Or do you think they're, they're about right on track? I, th I think they're, they're playing pretty similarly, both, both of them. Um, I'm just interested to see if, they're, if the German team is going to do anything differently, especially on the defensive end, to, sure. to uh, tackle the problems that the Dutch gave them. Um, because they played a, they played a bunch of games against each other, and most games look pretty similar in in how they how yeah. they uh, defended uh, those games. So we'll like, and there's different things. Like I, I would love to see a team just double Mariska for the whole game and and see what happens. Like it's yeah. it's it's hard to stop her. No, nobody's tried it in a, in any women's game I've ever seen. I, I find exactly. It, I find so it bizarre. If I would coach any of those. Uh, of those teams and obviously I don't so there might be there might be reason I'm not I'm not coaching those teams but I would just <laughs> double Mars put a put a good defender on bow and and see where you where you end up like yeah. it's it's yeah I think it's um my theory for a long time because obviously you've probably seen over the years that um the GB women traditionally come up a bit short against the the Dutch mm -hmm. women it, it's kind yeah. of a, a matchup that gets played every tournament and my theory's been for a long time Mariska is kind of like what Lee Manning is like in the men's game, where yeah. it's like, look, there, she's this big, she's this strong and powerful. She's going to get inside. At, like, you don't keep her away from her spots. So my theory has always been, let Mariska play one-on-one -on -one and pressure the ball as best as possible and try and stop the, you know, mm. take the ability away to pass the ball inside to her. Because what I think happens a lot is teams sag down to defend Mariska and by the time she's worked away inside, you know, somebody's helped and then there's no, and it's like an easy 10, 15 foot pass from the free throw line into her under the basket. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if that'll happen. I wonder if Germany just trust their bigs and say, right, we'll play you one-on-one -on -one and, and see what comes to it. But I wonder yeah. if that's, if a doubling, doubling her is a desperation tactic. It might be. And I, I like, and I don't think at the end of the day it will work because the, the, like not the the three players around Bo and and Mariska are like 
definitely good enough to punish yeah. those doubles. So I, I, I like, and it happened a couple times in the U.S. game where they yeah. found found the the smaller players inside for the layups, and I think like they can do that for sure. And it, I'm I'm pretty sure it's something they would they will have worked on. So cool. We'll see. Are you calling a Netherlands win for this one then? I, oh I, yeah, I, for sure. I, I assume this will be about the same as whenever I ask James how GB are going to do. He's like, yeah, we're going to win. Ah, they're going to take it. I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident. Okay, yeah. cool. I'll believe in you. You obviously see them a lot more than I do. Um, uh, I haven't been around that much, to be honest. Okay, fair enough. Um, okay, we'll shift over then, women's side. So the other semifinal is actually a repeat of one of the pool games, which ended up being a one-point game, mm-hmm. uh, as we've got China versus the USA so we had a very brief chat about this before we hit record and we didn't want to give the um, give the trade secrets away. But <laughs> yeah, China are, are doing it with defense, I think, is the, the easiest way to cover this. Mm-hmm. So what do you think, other than Rose Holloman getting more shots up than she did, what do you think is the, the secret for the US to come away with more than 41 points against the Chinese team? I think the U.S. are are pretty good in in finding finding the open spot on offense, and yeah. if they manage to just like if if they really try to shut down Rose as as much as they did, they should be able to to find good options anywhere else. And with Zerbrooks and uh, and what's the other the the the, uh, the girl that plays in the in the center a lot, um, Natalie Schneider is that the one? Yeah, exactly. No, not Schneider. The the shooter. Oh, Courtney. Uh, Courtney Ryan. Yeah. Exactly, Ryan. Like if Ryan and Zerbrooks can hit their like their open shots so consistently, if they're feeling well, so I think I think they should, they should be able to take that one if they if they like get into their groove. Um, but like like you're saying, like the Ch- the Chinese are making it like are making it fighting games. So sure, it's not going to be pretty. Yeah, it's um, every China game I've seen has been an absolute rock fight. Um, it kind of reminds me of I don't think many teams play this style anymore, but. You, I think you came up in the juniors about the same time as I did, and the mm-hmm. the team I always remember doing this more so than anyone I'd seen at that point was the the Swedish juniors in the kind of the Joachim Lindblom era Swedish yeah. juniors who just played mids and and press, and it's kind of I always thought it was just a thing that happened at the junior level, but China seemed to have brought it to the senior level more so than any team outside of maybe the Japanese men in the past. It's interesting to see, like, because it, it, like, it seems to be working. So yeah. it's, uh, it's nice. Like, I appreciate teams that be like, I'm not, ex- I'm not very good at this, but I can definitely do this and I'm going to make your life very hard doing it. So let's see yeah, where, for where sure. it goes. Yeah, I think, um, I don't know about you. I, me and James talked about this as we did our kind of prep episode for the Paralympics. I think the Chinese have been a little bit under the radar in the past. They finished fourth at the World Championships last gone, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. Yeah, I think you're it, right. Is this a kind of regardless of whether it's a win or a loss in this semifinal? Is this tournament something of a of an I've arrived party for the the Chinese women? I think if they do this like at the Worlds and now at, at uh, in Tokyo, I think like they're they have arrived at the at the, at the biggest stage now. Sure. And everybody, I think, like if if anybody doesn't take them seriously, that's on them because yeah. they're they're here to play. Um, yeah. But I'll take I'll take Rose or team. Rose is gonna Rose is gonna take. Cool. Them. Have you heard from Rose while the while the tournament's been going on? How how's she feeling? How are the the U.S. women feeling? Just a little bit, but not that much actually. I just 
a couple of words after after every game. But I, I'd like to, I think I, I'd like to think she has her own focus. Yeah, yeah. I think um, she had a she's had a couple of quiet ones. She struggled against China this time, but she she had a big game in um, in the win that the USA just got in the quarterfinal against Canada. So. I would be very surprised if she has two straight tough games against China because I think her average shooting percentage, like kind of over the last <laughs> two two seasons, is something like eighty five percent. It's it's all about the regression to the mean. So she's, she's going <laughs> to be fine. If it goes upward, is that regression or is that progression to the mean? No, it's regression. I'm pretty sure. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Look at you telling me how to speak my language. <laughs> um, you're probably right. I was just I was trying to be smart there. Okay, cool. I know the feeling. <laughs> um, yeah, James would have just nodded at that point. He would have told me I was right anyway. So <laughs> appreciate your honesty. Um, so we'll we'll jump over at this point to covering what's left on the on the men's side. Yeah, let's Obvi- do it. Obviously, the kind of the the pool stages have shown us, I think, a lot of sides of a lot of different teams um we've had teams kind of start hot and cool down as was the case with i think germany and australia to name a couple and then we've had teams kind of progress their way up and look more convincing as the as the pool stage wore on which i think spain are a good example of so we're gonna cover off the four of these games that uh, make up the quarterfinal matchups mm-hmm. and we're really going to look at it from what have we learned about each team or how are they kind of different to what we maybe expected before the pool stage kicked off. So we'll hit Spain and Germany first because it's the top of this graphic that I've got on screen. So what are your thoughts on Spain or Germany? And are there any games or kind of individual players or performances that stand out to you at this point? It's been a lot of fun, honestly, just to see both teams play. Um, Especially Germany. I've been impressed by, like, obviously Tommy Boehme is, is the real deal. And, yeah. and like, if you let him go off, he's going to go off. Um, but especially players like uh, Andre Binek and also uh, Nico Dreimuller, like they, they can, if like, they can really, really play. And yeah. especially in those first couple of games with the, the pool stage, like I was very impressed by both Binek and Dreimuller not being faced by any presses, just playing yeah. their normal basketball. And I kind of, I was happy to see it because, and like they didn't really show that in the Dutch bubble, but they definitely did show that when I and the Dutch team lost to them in in Poland in the quarterfinals. Um, so I'm happy to see that that like they didn't only bring that that game and also brought it to this tournament. Um, and I'm impressed by them playing this well without Dirk Passanone, which was was super important for them in, in back sure. in Poland. So. Yeah, the um, Passavan's retirement kind of seems to have gone, I guess, under the radar a little bit just because they. They came out hot. They lost to the US by three, I think it was, after after leading for most of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really, it was Drymuller especially there, as I think you pointed out to me when we spoke about it initially. Kind of the the confidence they get from having a fourth ball handler on the floor and, you know, having a, a two-pointer who most teams wouldn't have a two-pointer comfortable handling the ball against the pressure of the USA. And mm-hmm. the, the same was true for GB as well. The GB press really didn't rattle Germany whatsoever. Um, I think they may have dipped a little bit in their last couple of games. They they lost to Australia um, and they only just pulled out a win over Iran, who, to be fair, have been kind of getting better as the tournament have gone on. 
But I wonder if, I think weirdly I had less questions about Germany after their first couple of games and now the questions are starting to creep in about uh, is this kind of who they are or did they start off with two good wins and then regress to who they are or do they have it in them to take Spain down? Does Alex Halewski have it in him to, you know, be the, the dominant force in that game? I think they definitely have the the, the skill set and, and and the the quality to do it. But the thing is, Spain has been so consistent, and like like as you were saying, Germany have not really been staying at the level they started off at. So, sure. I'll I'll give my my I'll, I'll take Spain in this game. Sure. But it's uh it's just it's hard to bet against us here seeing him yeah. play like the last couple of seasons in Spain and seeing him play this tournament now, like he always finds a way to make, to, to play efficient basketball. And it's, it's really impressive. Yeah, it is. I think Spain, uh, if it, the lens we're looking at this through is, do we have more or less questions? I think there's only really one question about Spain and it's, can they do it against the, you know, the teams from the other group who were thought to be the favorites going into the tournament? Because right now they look, I think Group A was kind of seen as being the weaker group, but they have won five games, and I think their point difference is plus eighty-five or something to that to that number. Um, so yeah, the, really, all there is left to ask about them is: do they have that level in them to hang with the the teams from Group B? And I think yeah, if any if any team has found their identity, it's them. Like it's it's yeah. it's been super clear from the start of the tournament. And sure, and it's. It, it's it, it's weird that we say find their identity because as I think as we've mentioned um, when we've been talking, they've basically had the same team for a long time. And mm -hmm. for some reason they come into every, every tournament and nobody quite takes them seriously until it becomes very obvious that they're right there. And I think that's true of every, every tournament going back to maybe Rio or maybe even the world championships before that, yeah. where they, they finished third or fourth. So they've got basically the same group and they're apparently capable of doing the same the same stuff they've always done and somehow it still surprises everybody. <laughs> I so. have one more interesting uh, little tidbit about Germany because I yeah. have to share weird facts, which is that I saw on their on their stats page on the Olympics website that since they started playing at, uh, world championships and Paralympics, they have always ended up at a, at a lower rank, a lower spot than the year before. Really? Um, yeah. Steady, that's, steady decline. That's um, crazy. I had no idea of that. Like, so what, yeah, it's just, it's just a handful, but it, it's interesting. Yeah. So, uh, and the, their last, in Rio, they ended up eighth. Uh, we sure. played the seventh, eighth game against them in Rio. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I, yeah, you guys beat them. I remember that one. I definitely see them ending up higher than that and changing that, that little tendency because they've been, yeah, they've been playing a while. And yeah, well, the, if they... This is a tough one because this tournament format, there's no, once you lose the quarterfinal, there's no um, playoff to decide whether you go into fifth, yeah. sixth, seventh, you just drop. So if, yeah, so if Germany lose this one, they automatically go into, um, go into the seventh and eighth game. Yeah. Which well, is. Which will be Canada or Great Britain. Right? Yeah, I would have thought. So yeah, it's a, um, it's a tough draw for them because I think they're probably better than the seventh best team in this tournament but I also don't think they're going to get this game over Spain so they'll either end up top four or seventh or eighth no in between but I'll take them in the, when they play Canada for seventh eight I'll, I'll give them the seventh place and, and hope yeah. they uh, change up their little losing or lowering streak sure 
I'm with you on that one. So Spain into the semi-final is the, the prediction for this one. Um, so that moves us on to USA and Turkey. Uh, I think we've spoken quite a lot about the USA in prep for this. I don't think we've really covered Turkey at all. So I'm interested to hear what you think about Turkey specifically. I haven't watched a whole lot of Turkey games, so I think my opinion is pretty, pretty much what it had, what it had been, uh, what it would have been at the start of the tournament. Um, they're just a, a, a like a, a team with a lot of skill and a lot of spirit. Yeah, and it's Gurbulak. We he has he has won games against us, the Dutch team, so many times. Like just these games, we felt pretty comfortable, and he just last quarter was like, "No, this is not going to happen. I'm yeah. going to sh- put this in your eye." The one I remember is. I was there to watch it, I think. Worcester, 2015 Europeans, mm-hmm. is that right? Yeah. And it, I can't, he had some insane streak in the second half, and, it, and I think he capped the game off. He lost the ball, pushed all the way back to the halfway line to get it. He ended up sh- shooting a three from the logo in the middle of the court and canning it. And it was like, okay, this is a go black game, apparently. Yeah. That was, a, that was a semi-final, I think, if I remember that right. Other than that, I'm I'm pretty happy to see that uh, Ferit is back on the court. Like I heard, I heard the rumor that he was not going to be here in Tokyo, and it's nice to see him still be here because I've always been impressed by him and his play. And he's there's a couple like there's a certain type of player that I always I call like a Ferit type of player when you okay. just cannot help from them in the middle. Sure. Like this, Who, this the moment you help. Who's on your Who's on your Ferit um, type list? Um. Ari, to be honest, Ari Toich, my team yeah. in Gran Canaria, he's he's like a stereotypical, yeah, very type of player. If you leave him in the middle, it's gonna he's gonna get the ball. He's gonna push in like one chair length, and it's gonna be money. Sure, um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one. I, I hadn't thought about that. That was almost too obvious for the answer. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think Turkey. We saw it a little bit yesterday against Japan in the pool game to decide um, who finished second and third. But I think Japan were the first team all tournament to really take away Gobelak's ability to create assists and create shots for the other guys. And I think Turkey are really, really good at what they do, which is Gobelak creates and everybody else finishes at a very high percentage. Mm-hmm. I don't think the rest of the guys on their roster quite have the shot creation power um, to make the opportunities that they need. Mm-hmm. And if they had a hard time with that against Japan, I can only imagine they're going to have an equally hard time or a harder time with it against the USA's defense. Yeah, that's a good point. If the US watched that Japan game, that sounds that sounds like they've got the recipe right there. Yeah, I would say so. Um, but that said, the Turkish guys, you know, they have guys that can shoot. Ishmael's shot really well this whole tournament. Um, the younger guy, uh, Toprak, has mm-hmm. kind of has stepped up a little bit. I think I don't see Turkey being able to get it done against the US, but as we saw in the pool stage, the US team isn't unbeatable. I think as good as they are and being the reigning Paralympic champions, they still have some flaws or some weaknesses within their team. I don't know if you, you agree with that. Yeah, that's an in- interesting theme in this in this tournament that some of the of the established teams are missing their key players or yeah, some yeah. of their core core units um except for australia i feel like so we will come to that later yeah. um but the u.s missing both jared rambula and uh and gooch sure. i think really hurts them the, the fact that they could just run out the the pressing lineup with gooch whenever they wanted to yeah was like really made them 
on a like be on another level compared to other teams i have experienced it in rio myself as well we <laughs> i think we were even up after the first quarter like 12 or 12 8 or something yeah. and we only scored five points for the second the second and third quarter combined just because I think they I, run out there the pressing lineup and we just didn't do anything the rest of the game i think i remember that one actually i was in a um i was driving while that game was on and i was in a text group with a, a load of the um the kind of british guys and there was there was like because i didn't see the text they came through i just saw them all at the end and it was like oh man the ne- netherlands are up they've got you know 14 points in the first quarter whatever they are then it yeah. was minute by minute it was like okay no never mind oh mustafa just hit one okay Tw- 20 points up by the usa never mind yeah but yeah it's a it's a tough look and if it makes you feel any better i don't think you're the only team who's fallen victim to that kind of us oh, no put, putting the clamps on but it's interesting, interesting to see now that now like now they have to do it without that that backup uh, sure. press uh, in yeah their, uh, on their sleeve so sure and I think it's uh, I think potentially the slight um, the loss of options to their defense has maybe exposed the fact that their offense isn't quite as productive as it maybe has been in the past because uh, they they've had to rely on their offense a lot more. And I think in particular, one guy that stands out to me is Brian Bell, who has had some good games against the weaker teams, but has been pretty unimpactful against, for example, GB in Australia. I don't think it's really, he's not found his fit yet in this tournament for whatever reason. Um, And I wonder if there's going to be an opportunity for him to get going, because I think the US need outside of Jake doing it, you know, playing his usual game and, Serio kind of controlling the offense. I think the US need one more piece offensively to really secure themselves. And they've yeah. not they've not quite had it yet consistently. I would love for them to give Brian Bell a little bit more freedom with the ball in his hands because yeah. he can create like like an elite, like he can like an elite player. Like he is he is excellent at that at that part of the game. And sure. now that he just gets the offside shots when when the help is rotated, and that's he can do that too, of course. But like you said, like if Syria if if Teams are not gonna not gonna give Sirio the respect he he would like to get. Then uh, yeah, they need something else. Yeah, for sure. And I think um, special mention to Josh Turek, who has obviously had a couple of years out and has come back in and apparently not aged whatsoever. <laughs> it's just he's had a couple of good games against the weaker teams. So you know, make of it what you will. But that guy is as reliable of a source of bench offense as I have ever seen. Just, oh yeah. Comes in middle of the floor post up or right block post. Up. It's just two two points relentlessly. I don't know what he's been doing in his year back in the states, but he doesn't seem to have slowed down from his Bilbao years at all. I love his game. I love watching him. He's awesome, man. Yeah. Um, so are we both go in. Are we both going USA to win this one. Yeah, yeah, be, yeah. It's gonna. Cool. I, I think so. Awesome. Um, so we'll shift to the other side of the bracket then, and this is one I'm really interested by. Because I think me and James have talked about Japan a lot because I feel like they've always been on the edge of being right there and they've always made life a little bit difficult for themselves. If you watch kind of past tournaments, I think even right up to 2018 Worlds, they spent a lot of time being indecisive offensively and Mm. kind of moving the ball around with not a lot of purpose. Uh, I think they've cleaned a lot of that up. And I think they've gained confidence as the tournament's gone on. Uh, Hero Kozlai has been great. And they seem to be on the way up. 
Australia won their first three games and then have lost a couple of the big ones. And I think, I don't know if you agree with me, but I think the Australians have shown some ability to lose composure in the big games when things get tough. Um, and I wonder if the J- Japan defence and the kind of pressure they play with is going to be enough to to give the Aussies something to think about. Yeah, if you're talking about like recipes that they came out at the group stage, J- if Japan watches the the US Australia game, that's that's yeah. something that Japan could try to replicate on on defense for sure. They have the they have the, uh, the team to do that. Um, I I when when after the first uh, couple of group games, I really I expected Australia to take at least one, but actually two of the the GB and the US games, just because yeah, they have agreed. been a team that has been the like they didn't lose any of their key players this year. They were pretty complete in preparation. I'm pretty sure they only missed like Bill, Bill Latham, Yannick Blair, and and Oprins in the season, and the rest of the players yeah. were just uh, in Australia. So I expected them to be to be good and to be consistent. And they seem to like they started off well. They are good. Yeah. Like they're yeah. very good. But they they like they like the the little bit of consistency. Yeah, um, yeah I think it's interesting because I think you this maybe shows the. Um, the changing of the guard for the Australians a little bit, which is something we spoke to Yannick about when he he was on here mm. um, about how they've kind of gone from the the older guys and you know playing the three big and the the big tough guy model to the more mobile um, three mids unit and then Bill and, and Yannick as well. And I wonder if this the kind of lack of discipline or lack of composure they've shown in some of the more important games is maybe a symptom of moving away from the more experienced guys and moving to a, a slightly younger unit. Uh, I have a tough time thinking that Justin Everson and Brad Ness and, you know, the, the old guard of the Australians would have would have felt the pressure quite as badly. Um, yeah. And, and, like, also, I think the the three mids lineup is is a relatively hard lineup to, to play structured because yeah. it, you just have a lot of moving parts and a lot of players that can do a lot of, diff- like, a lot of the same stuff at the same time, so... We like I've, I've struggled with with the four three 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 one lineup myself with that as well. Like if you if you have yeah. three guards running around, it's uh yeah you have to really really fit well together and and be on the same page to make it make it click efficiently. Sure, um, I think that the other thing worth mentioning is that in the two games Australia have lost, um, I think Bill has had less of an impact than. Mm. Uh, maybe struggled against Lee Manning a little bit, really didn't look like himself against the USA. So I think maybe that it's as simple as that for Australia is, you know, if Bill turns up and like you say, does having a, having a big guy playing inside and finishing off, does that give the three mids lineup kind of the, the structure it needs to play around that? Whereas that's a lot more difficult if he's, he's not finishing consistently. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that. It might be it might be different for Bill here in the national team than it has been for the last couple of years in Spain because he's been playing with a lot of bigs around him. Sure. Um, yeah, I haven't like thought I'm, that actually. I've been really impressed by Bill like last season in Spain, and yeah. I think I think he's one of the best players one of the yeah, one of the best players in Spain you know, the, the last couple of seasons just because he's been such a such a like calming factor in that team and uh, making tough shots when he needs to. Um, yeah, I, but, I don't think his defensive impact ever goes away because he, he's so big and he's yeah. so he kind of just runs the he's like the old Mark Gasol model for the um the old <laughs> Spanish able bodied team. Um but yeah, I don't, his kind of shot making, like you say, it's been the the Alunian backup plan has been if someone's double teaming Terry, throw it to Bill on the mismatch and and go from there. 
And I don't think he's quite had that level of finishing this tournament, but all it's going to take is for him to make those at 50% and Australia are going to look as good as any other team again. I don't, I don't think the problems they've had in the last couple of games are something they can't fix. But I, I think e- so too. Equally, well, Japan are a tough team to try and fix your problems against because I imagine you struggle to pause for breath when you play those guys. Yeah, and it's, it's such a game of momentum in Japan finishing strong in the group and Australia having a, t- a couple of tougher games. Yeah, I, yeah I'd love to, to, make, to see Japan make it a super competitive game and, and win on the home turf. Like I would, I, that would be interesting. Definitely. We're... Um, we're gonna. We have a question that's come through uh, that we'll touch on in a little bit. But while we're while we're here, do you want to give um, Chokai a mention? Because I know he's been a subject of fascination for years. This this tournament's gone. Oh, like I I've been play. I've played against Renchi Chokai like a bunch in my in my uh, career. Like we always have prep tournaments with the, against the Japanese team with our national sure. team. Uh, we were in their group in Rio. Like I, I thought in Rio, I was I was super young myself, super inexperienced, sure. and I saw Renchi, and I was like, that guy, that guy is impressive. And I only realized a couple of years ago he was just seventeen at that tournament. Yeah. He's still twenty two right now. Yeah, like his his speed is mesmerizing. And then like the fact that he he developed like an an outside game, a passing game the last couple of years, like it's it's been really fun to see, and it's uh yeah, it's a joy to watch. Yeah, he he's um, I feel like he's kind of maybe maybe synonymous with Japan's improvement because, uh, kind of contrary to what you said about Australia, um, and how difficult it is to have a structure with three mids, I feel like Japan have always struggled with almost having too much structure, and they spend mm-hmm. a lot of their offense always looking for it. You know, one more pass and we'll get a better shot. One more pass yeah. and we'll get a better shot, and that. They've kind of infused this guy into the, into the lineup, who's just like a a one man wild card or a one man fast break. And we um, we saw it against Spain when Japan had struggled to generate offense in the first half, and they plugged Chokai in to uh, start the second half. And he, I think, he had eleven points and three fouls in the <laughs> the third quarter on its own. It's like okay, so maybe redirect a little bit of the energy, but this guy this guy brings it. Oh yeah. So, what's your prediction for all that said? What's your prediction for Japan and Australia? Hmm. Let me go with an interesting one, and I'll, I'll say I'll say Japan takes it by like a couple of points. Yeah. Okay. I was um I was going to lean Japan as well, but I feel like we can't agree on all of these, and <laughs> you, you've already taken the um you've taken the niche one, so I'll I'll back Australia on this, if sure. nothing if nothing else, because we need to get Yannick back on the podcast, and I don't want to don't want to burn my bridges. <laughs> It'd be fun to have one of the Japanese players on as well. But Yeah, that would be good, actually. I think um, we had Hero on our ones to, ones to watch list. And Hero's played great, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's probably our most realistic candidate because I think he, he was at college in the States, right? So I'd imagine his English is is pretty good. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's a bit of a lucky dip if you're um, trying to book foreign-speaking guests, <laughs> especially with the accent problems that we, me and James could have with both of them. <laughs> that is pretty rough, to be honest. Yeah. So, yeah, well, um, but I feel like if, if you pick Japan and I pick pick Australia, we've got our bases covered. We can we can get guests in from either team, right? Nice. Yeah, but not, not that I'm actually part of this podcast, but yeah, well, I'm, I'm just well, your head listener. Hey, you're doing well enough, man. We'll, um, I think it we'll send this recording to James after we finish and we'll have a discussion about whether you should replace him full time. 
I can be I can be a foreign correspondent. I can come in to, to cover some uh, some teams uh, some teams that I've been playing. Yeah, I like it. We'll we'll take that. You can be um yeah honor honorary member. Yeah. So yeah, we'll um in fact while we're on the um the James topic, I mm. said said to him I'd mention this, but the reason James isn't here is because there's um there's all this stuff about what you can and can't be part of um, when you're in the Paralympic village and, you know, you have to have your media appointments scheduled and all this and that. Mm. And he, he went to, um, he went to ask the, the British Paralympic association, if he was allowed to record the podcast, given that it's not anybody else's property, but his, and um, it's not going to go to any other media outlets or anything. So they said they'd never had that request in from anybody before because no, no Paralympic athlete is full of themselves enough to think that anyone wants to listen to us. <laughs> that wasn't their words. That's why I assume, but um, they had to pass it on to the IPC to the proper, the head um, head honchos of the whole operation who I think, I think have said they have to listen to the podcast and approve. So somewhere there's some Japanese business guys in suits listening to James read off that very long intro we gave to Tom Smith. <laughs> they must be like this. <laughs> Surely this guy's not serious that he wants to record one of these. <laughs> but anyway, well, um, so if if James gets clearance at some point, we'll get him back in for an episode. But until then, we're um, we're on with the guest hosts, and I I really wish I could be in the room as the IPC officials are um, reviewing the podcast material. But I guess we'll never know. <laughs> okay, so. Speaking of James, we'll get on to the last of the quarterfinals, which is GB and Canada. Um, I think both of these guys have had a little bit of an up and down, up and down ride. Mm-hmm. GB lost to Germany in their second game, and I think given the guys that they're missing from this tournament, that loss was alarm bells across the team. Yeah, um, they've since made up for it with a pair of one point wins against the US and Australia which if you go back and listen to our predictions podcast I actually called them to lose both those games um, much to James's offense um, Canada had lost their first three games and we're in a, a battle for the last one with Korea and Colombia and we're able to kind of pull it out on the strength of Patrick Anderson and Nick Gonshin and now after some rocky rides for the two of them they face each other in the quarterfinals so What's your thoughts on what's your thoughts on these two? I'll let you pick who you want to analyze first. Um, let's start GB. It was when I first like the first minutes of, of their first game I watched. I was like, "Where is their head coach?" Did you not know? No, I did not know that that Hatch had po- tested positive. Um, so I was like, "What's what's going on?" And then on the on the stat sheet afterwards, it was like head coach Gaz. Yeah, <laughs> uh, assistant coach Lee. It was like, what's what's going on? So like, soon I figured out what was yeah. the case. And it's the the Albacete takeover of the um, of the GB program. <laughs> yeah, and like I must imagine that being a, a tough place to be, and like not like not making not being able to make the usual adjustments, and especially in the quarterfinals where stuff is going to get more more strategic, more more like a chess game. It's gonna. Sure. I think that's 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 really a tough place to be. Although probably Gas Chowdhury is one of the one of the better player coaches to have if you have to pick one. He seems like a very, very uh, collected, collected and smart basketball player. Yeah, he's a he's a smart guy, and I think the the biggest um, factor for Gaza's player coach, other than his kind of knowledge of the game, is 
if you look back at Gaza's history, he's played everywhere and he's played against so many people and mm-hmm. for so many teams. And I think just when you've jumped around the leagues like he has and you've played so many different styles, it's almost like you've got a, a bigger source of reference material than, say, yeah. somebody like Terry, who's played obviously for a long time in Europe, but has played for the same club the entire time. Maybe Gaz's wealth of knowledge lends itself more to kind of the adjustments that you mentioned. Yeah, that's a good point. But I think the on the player coach topic, I wonder if the GB USA game where GB were ahead for a large stretch of the fourth quarter and then had a slightly panic-stricken close to the game, let's put it that way. Um, I I wonder if that is evidence that it's very difficult when your coach has to be on the court rather than watching the games from the sidelines because I feel like, you know, playing the US is tough enough as it is, playing the US and having to think three steps ahead as to what, what would the coach do in this situation? I can only imagine how tough that would be on the, the Paralympic stage, but hats off to Gaz because he's got it done up to this point. Yeah, and at the same time, like it, it's it's very good for them to have even when when your player coach is on the floor to have a, have a guy like Terry sit on the on the bench yeah. and 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 like there's a couple of clips that that have been sent around by uh, that that are like Terry pointing something out to Gaz and Gaz immediately yeah. immediately taking advantage of the the thing Terry just said. Like that's a cool dynamic to see, and I'd love I'd love for that to be a successful one. I think it's super cool. Yeah, I think it would be. Um, Considering, obviously, Gaz was thrust into this fairly last minute. I know they had been prepping him. He was going to be down as the assistant coach for the tournament anyway, uh, even if Hadge Hadge had been here. But I think um, they've been prepping him for this, but Hadge didn't test positive until about three or four days before the guys were meant to fly out. Yeah. So this is obviously... um, It's not like the kind of Poland situation where Piotr Lezinski's been the player coach for 20 years. Mm-hmm. You know, this is Gaz's first tournament with a coach and responsibility, and it, it was given to him three days before the Paralympics. So it's um, it would be a, a cool success story if it if it did pan out that way, for sure. So before we jump to Canada, obviously we've kind of seen the highs and the lows of of GB um, in the loss to Germany, and then a couple of wins against the the big dogs of Pool B. What mm-hmm. do you think, kind of the the swing factor for GB's ceiling and floor is hmm good question um let's see they're playing canada i feel like i feel like if they can they had a couple of stretches where they really uh were really successful taking advantage of their size mismatches with ian sagar and and lee manning and also yeah. obviously guys like terry and gas being excellent mismatch shooters um I think if they can if they can find those spots and and if Canada like gets like uh, tries to, to switch off those mismatches, then use the the openings that that creates for their shooters in, in sure. Abdi and, and Greg. I think I think that's a good starting point for them potentially. And obviously they have the defensive like the quickness to to make make Patrick Anderson's life hard. And I think they're in a good place. I think especially after how they like after how they finished the, the group stage, they should be in a feeling pretty good about themselves and I think that helps a lot a lot a lot too like especially uh I feel like a, a player like Greg Warburton like he if he feels good about his game he is very hard to stop so yeah agreed I think um Greg is probably the biggest defining factor for GB because I think you look at 
like the loss to Germany, Greg played 40 minutes and he only got nine shots up in the game. Mm. Um, and then he, I can't remember how many shots he took against Australia, but he had 22 points. And it just, I think it couples nicely with what you said about kind of the size and the mismatch shooting is when GB just have that to rely on, it's a tough game for them. But when they have the mismatch shooting and the kind of outside shot creation from um, from Greg, it's it's a tough balance for any team to stop that. And I think the um, the Harry Brown on Patrick Anderson thing is going to be big because it's normally Harry gets some help from Simon Brown when Simon's there, who's oh, obviously yeah. obviously not um, around for this tournament. So it's going to be it's going to be a lot to ask of Harry to um, to take Simon on to take Pattons and on on his own. Sorry, um, but he's. I think his mobility has caused problems for every team they've played in. Even like the USA don't know what to do with him, which is crazy for me because they're literally built to stop mobile guys and they can't can't contain Harry in any game they ever play. In. Maybe like it's, it's also t- a good time for uh, for an obligatory James shout out. I think I think like put James and Harry on on Pat should be yeah. should be good. Yeah, I think um, potentially GB's lineup, given that they don't have as much size to worry about with. Um, Canada as they have done with some other teams I think they can potentially go to the the three twos lineup with Lee and Ian Sega yeah. and c- kind of match Canada on that one I think that might be their best chance defensively um, so one more that, thing yeah. one more thing about, about GB is is in their in two, two of their big games uh, I think the one you, maybe you have to correct me on this one but two of their games they had a lot less shots than the opponent I think Iran yes. they had a lot less shots and the USA too yeah, the, uh, the USA GB took 19 less shots than the US. The Iran game yeah. was only a difference of about six, which I don't think is... I think a lot of that difference essentially came down to the number of free throws that GB took, which oh, right. yeah. might have been a bit misleading on the, the stat sheet. But yeah, the right. um, being down 19 attempts to the USA was... Um, that was crazy. Yeah, you don't um, see that very often. So, like that, I think that to me that says two things. One of them is the shots they do get are are quite good and have a high percentage, uh, yeah. are good are good looks, and also you, they just have to be more careful in 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 the in the, in the backcourt. Sure. And if they if they can limit those turnovers and keep those those percentages that high that high, then it's gonna be they're gonna be really efficient. Definitely. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm with you on that. One. Okay, so Canada side, they've got here on the backs of Pat Anderson and Nick Gonchin. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have to ask a whole lot more of those guys to, oh, yeah. to get past this game. Um, do you see a roadmap for Canada to win this one outside of Pat and Nick both have 30 and see what comes after that? Yeah, like it's, it's, it's a little bit of an open door, but I, I think they'll, they'll have to find some, some consistent points from their, from their third and fourth guys. Yeah. Um, and I see, I've seen them, them run some plays like as a for Bo Hedges as an offside shooter, sure. get him open on the on the on the offside, and like he, if 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 he's, he's if he's catching open looks and taking them well, like he can he can be super efficient at those. So that that might be something they need to, to need they need to focus on. I think like Gonchin and, and Anderson can can find their shots wherever they want, pretty much. Yeah. Um, so if they can get Bo in consistent uh, places, that, that that might be a good good way to go. Yeah, definitely. I think Bo has to be the um, has to be the third guy for them, really, doesn't he? That I think Canada really miss what a lot of the other teams have in a really dynamic ball handling mid pointer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Bo, Bo, like you say, is a good player and a good shooter, but he's a lot more of a 
a stationary guy. You don't really give Bo the ball and have him, you know, run the fast break or run a load of pick and rolls. And I think Canada sometimes struggle with not having any shot creation from the guard positions. Yeah, that's an inter- in- interesting topic in the basketball that I I would love to be on another podcast on uh, to talk about, which is like how efficient are your are your points distributed? Or better, I think put better is how efficient is your skill set divided between your yeah. uh, your points? Because like if you compare a Bo Hedges to Abdi Gemma, like they are a very similar type of player where they are yeah. most efficient just catching and shooting, but having a one o doing that instead of a two o. Is obviously yeah. a huge difference and gives you gives you some space on other sides of the court. And I think there's yeah interesting uh, conversations to be had about the, those 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 uh, that that division of labor between the, the different classifications. Yeah, I def- um, definitely agree with you there. I think it's um, you see it. I think maybe you see it more in club teams than you do do in national teams. But I think you see a lot of club teams, um, specifically in Italy where all the shot creation falls on the falls on the fours and the four fives because uh, mm-hmm. they, they create the offense through mismatches and stuff like that. And then you see that when they go up, the obvious example is like when the Euro League always used to be Santa Lucia would go up against Galatasaray, who would play play four bigs, and suddenly guys like Cavanini and Rossetti can't just find the mismatches anymore. And then you get found out because all your you know, your ones and your twos, all they've done all season is is catch the ball for layups and, you know, never had to do any any dribbling or any outside shooting or shot creation of their own. So yeah. I think there's definitely value in having your lower point guys able to create shots for, um, for your higher point guys, which I think links back to what we said about trying to marry up Greg having a good outside shooting game with GB's size as well. And maybe, right. that's, maybe that's GB's advantage over Canada in a nutshell right there. Yeah. It's a good one. So that will lead us to a semi-final where GB have to play Australia again. And that, as I think you mentioned, is a game that was decided by one point. Um, so our semi-finals in that case will be USA-Spain, which is a repeat of the Rio final, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And so. GB-Australia, which we saw just a couple of days ago. Um, I think at that point, I think the quarterfinals have an obvious favourite to each of them. Well, maybe less so in Australia, Japan's case. I think when we get the semi-finals of the men's tournament, I really don't know who the favorite is in each game anymore. Oh no, um, Spain bizarrely might seem less favored against the US, but have also gone undefeated through the pool stage. So it doesn't seem fair to say they're second favorite to anybody. Oh man, I think I think Spain Spain has has definitely the tools to do it against against the US. Like they are so big, like they can afford to jump. Anybody who gets hot on the US and still make inside finishing super hard. Yeah. Um, I think uh, one of the interesting things with Spain's defense is because they, like you say, they're so big on kind of all, all sides of the floor, they're able to play L shape defense and not fully commit to jumping. Mm-hmm. And they're able to do that and cover a lot more ground than most teams. You know, most teams, if they L shape, can only affect you kind of out to one or two feet away from the screen. Spain yep. seemed to be able to do it, you know, pushing you all the way out to the three-point line and still still not able to get a clean look. I wonder if that's enough to give the USA a hard time. I think it could be. I think it very well could be. I think it could. I 
I really don't know who I who I would pick going into that semi-final. I and I yeah. also don't think we're going to get many answers from the specific quarterfinal matchups. I think we're just going to have to see how that game goes assuming that that is the matchup which I'm relatively confident in saying it is. It's going to be exciting. Yeah. On the other uh, hand like US has to have the tools to make it really tough for uh, for us here as well like just pressuring them a lot. It's, sure. It's, it's, yeah. Let's see. Sure. Let's see. Uh, me and James talked about Asier a bunch of times on here, but we've um, decided that Asier is wheelchair game Jokic. Hmm. <laughs> you just look at him and you're like, no, we can probably take him. He, you know, we've got the the speed and the mobility, and then it turns out that none of that actually matters. He just f- finds a way anyway. That's a good one. I've I've, I've heard on the podcast you're quite a Jokic fan, aren't you? I am a, a massive Jokic fan. Yeah. Yeah, um, so am I. I'm a, I'm an appreciator. I would probably worship Asier if he throws passes like Jokic would, though. Like... <laughs> yeah, the um, yeah the Bill ba- the Bilbao and the Spanish offenses are almost um, they're kind of too too strict and too regimented to let Asier really get get as creative as as Jokic. Yeah. But it'd be cool to see him try. Um, we'll hit the questions because we got a handful of questions from listeners. Cool. And then I think we'll call that a day and we'll let you and everybody else get on with their lives. Okay, so first up. So Ayaka has asked, which games and which players have excited you the most? Nice one. Um, so probably... So my first my first thought is is uh the 4-0 by of Korea Kim. Um sure. he is it is easy to underestimate him just like some people underestimate us here but he is he is elite like he can do yeah. so much on the court. But that's a bad answer because I haven't even watched a single Korea minute. So <laughs> let's um um let's think for one second. Mm. Yeah, I'll, I'll take Tommy Burma. Like, if yeah. he if he can really, like, I'm I have moments I've had moments where I think like, okay, this guy is one of the most skillful basketball players in the world, but he's not as clutch at some as, as some of them. Sure. Um, but if he just can get going from minute one and keep it going, I think he's gonna he's 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 able to wreck Spain. He will yeah. be able to wreck Spain. So I'll, that's interesting. I'll I'll say Burma. I think uh, I think he's underestimated. Cool. Yeah. I would agree with you. I think he, um, like you said about Germany, kind of being on maybe a bit of a downward slope. I think it's it's hidden a little bit how good he is individually, but he seems to have he is changing that perception of him, yeah, of himself a little bit at this tournament. You have some um, homework. I think mine's actually from the women's side more so than anybody else, um, nice. and it's been Katie Dandenau of Canada who. Uh, you're making up for your for your once to watch mistake. <laughs> I am, yeah. She um, obviously was not very happy about that. Um, that for it, maybe it's biased from the first game, but the very first Paralympic game I watched was Canada's women against GB's women, and it was. I don't know if I've seen a performance that dominant on any side of any game for a long time, be it men's or women's. It was just a complete and utter detonation. Um, and yeah, maybe part of it's on me for not being as up with the women's games as I should. But even if you're an avid follower of the women's game, I feel like you would still be pretty impressed by the performance she put forward there. And 
yeah, Canada unfortunately lost to uh, USA's women, as we mentioned earlier. But yeah, Danzenau's had had a hell of a tournament. It's been like video game level stats from her most games. Let me give an honorary mention as well about the uh, on the first first wheelchair basketball Paralympic game this year I watched, which was uh, USA the Netherlands, uh, and also like Lindsay Zerbrick in that game was yeah. really really impressive. Like it was uh, super cool to see. So sure, keep an eye out. Keep an well, eye out. Um, we'll get to her in a second because the next question is who is your best five at the moment? So if you had to pick an all star five at the halfway point of the tournament, who are you having? Oof. So I have not watched enough women's games to to really make this call. I don't okay. think. Okay, I've got you covered for the women, so you can give you give you a men's one if you'd like. Uh, you did you did tell me to prepare this one, but I have not yet. So <laughs> let me let me think about this a little bit, and cool. and let's let's keep come back. Well, and, and I'll, back to I'll, I'll riff my um I'll riff my old stuff fives now, and you can tell me what you think. Nice. Okay, so women's. You could, you're going to kill me on the Dutch pronunciations here, but Yitzka. Perfect. Oh, thanks. <laughs> ten, out, 10 out of 10. Wicked. Um, I'll get my Dutch citizenship. Um, Lindsay Zerbrug, who you mentioned from the USA. Um, a Chinese name, which I'm also going to butcher, which I believe is Suling Lin, who's the Chinese mm -hmm. 3.0. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, Rose Holloman, who I think has had one quiet game all tournament. Other than that, she's been about what you'd expect. And Mariska, who we spoke about a little bit earlier, she it, there's no no debate about whether Mariska gets there, which is a shame because I think guys like Dan Danau and the German women have had had strong tournaments, but Mariska's head and shoulders above all the other fours and four fives in the women's game. Oh yeah, I don't like. I think there's not a single. Uh... Single thing I could argue about those five. Yeah. I think uh, that's spot on. Thanks. And my men's one, I'm actually half a point over because I was trying. Work. To... <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got I've got a sub in place in case you were very particular about it, but I felt like this was more about getting representation for the teams. Um, so I've gone. I, 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 I'm not fond of that, to be honest. But okay, fair enough. Uh, well, I'll put I'll put my sub in then. So my first choice for the one point classification was Ishmael R, but I'm going to sub him out for Yannick Blair to make the points work. Mm -hmm. um, and from that point onwards, it's going to be Jake Williams of the USA, Alejandro Zazuela of Spain, um, Hiro Kazai of Japan, and Gaz Chowdhury of GB. Gaz and Asier was a very tough call. Uh, I ended up going Gaz because it felt like GB top in the pool needed a guy in there, and Alejandro felt like a more obvious call for the three to give Spain some credit rather than, um, yeah, Thomas Bomo was my other three-pointer. But I, there's a million different ways I could have rejigged the men's one. So I just I had to pick oh, yeah. one. Now I'm, I'm quite disappointed that I didn't get to make one because I think I could come up with a better one. Okay, go on. We're, we'll do the rest of the questions. We've got two more questions to go through and you can come back to your All-Star 5 if you think you can do that. <laughs> I just think, just to be, just to explain myself, I just think having both Jake, Hero, and Gaz on the same team is more creation than you need. They all played um, together at Hamburg a few years ago, man. Mm. So, I hadn't realised that. <laughs> I just plucked that defence off the top of my head. I didn't realise I was... Um, I was recreating Hamburg's lineup from a few years ago. Interesting, but yeah, I think you might you might be right on that one. We'll um, we'll come back to it, and you can see if you can find a more balanced lineup. Nice. Um, so this one's from Anna, who has asked, "What teams have you been most impressed and surprised by through the pools?" 
Um, firstly, I w- I've been really impressed by the U.S. women's team. Um, sure. The first game was really like they really showed why they're here and 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 played some impressive basketball. Um, especially considering they they have such a a new team compared to uh, compared to Rio. Sure. Um, that same game, like the, the the Dutch women's were also like I. I said earlier this podcast, but that, that was one of the highest level women's games I've ever I've ever seen. I, I think just because both teams knew so well what they wanted to get out of every offense, yeah, um, and got to it very efficiently, which is uh, which is impressive. Um, and Germany, I'll, I'll give a shout out to Germany on this one, like uh, especially seeing how they played in in at the at the Dutch bubble and now seeing seeing how they how they hang with the big guys and and really really play some good basketball i, I love how they use the the three point uh shots as a real threat uh, every game i think that's that's one of the things uh wheelchair basketball is like it, it's a, it's a uh it's an area that the wheelchair basketball can still develop into to using yeah. the the three point threat more and I think they've, 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 they're showing that it's possible and, and that's cool to see. Sure, definitely. Um, I would say say similar in terms of Germany for the men, uh, also Japan for the men for really taking the, taking the step forward. Oh, yeah. Um, and then I think it has to go for the Chinese women as well, securing wins over both, um, both the USA and the Dutch in the pool stages is a statement made, <laughs> if, if ever that. there was one. Um, so they've been the teams for me. And I guess this kind of links into the following questions, but have you seen any effects of the lockdowns and the various um, effects of COVID in any of the teams or players specifically? Um, yes, I, I, I haven't, uh, I don't really have an idea why some, like why some of the players that didn't go to, that didn't join or didn't get to make some of the teams, like, I don't know how big, COVID played a role in those things, but I'll I'll just take that that all the all the uh, unusual absences are are because of COVID, and I think like it's it's super interesting to see how some of the teams that have been super established have to reinvent themselves a little bit and have yeah. to find, like you said, the USA have to be can be have to be less dependent on the defense and less dependent on the transition offense, and it's it's really interesting to see how how some of those teams have to. Have to adjust a little bit and 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 reach into their into their bag. Yeah, for sure. I think um, you can. De- I think you can definitely see it in that teams like maybe this is at the crux of what Spain are doing this tournament on the men's side. But obviously, all their guys play in the one league. I don't know if they're. Um, I don't know how often they get together for the national team training and stuff, but you would think there's some advantage to the fact that those guys don't have to travel out of the country to play in the most competitive league in the world. Whereas oh, yeah. obviously people like Matt Scott from the U S or, or Rose, for example, you know, they're away from their national team teammates for, for good. Um, and it's the same is true of kind of the Australian guys who, like you said, the Australians have had most of their guys based, um, based back in Australia for the season, apart from a handful who've been, been in Europe and I think it's a trade-off as to whether Europe benefits the individual players enough to to justify it um, and I think unfortunately you see with kind of the the GB women um, the effect that the lockdowns had on them in terms of all the regulations that have been in place in England about them not being able to train in groups uh, I think it's kind of hampered their their game progress as opposed to 
teams like the the Dutch women who I understand have been centralized the entire year and kind of in a bubble the entire year to some extent and mm-hmm. able to train as they would do in any normal season. Yeah. So that would be that. Do you have an all-star five to beat mine? Uh, if, if not, you're just going to have to call this a loss and we're going to end here. No, I don't. I don't. I'm sorry. Uh, okay, no. that's fine. I'll, t- I'll take we've the been, win. We've been bothering our listeners long enough, I, I, I think. So <laughs> it's... Uh, I'll 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 take a rematch one some, sometime in the future. Wicked. Okay, uh, that'll be all from us, Mendel. Thanks again for coming out, man, and being my um, being my James replacement, my my nicotine patch for my my <laughs> James. That's that's what they're called, isn't it? When you stop smoking. Um, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So that we'll continue to be that for each other until James gets back out of Tokyo and back to his normal rate of communication. So, yeah, thanks a lot, man. Um, And, yeah, thank you, everybody, for listening. If you want to check out our write-ups, go and head over to the Bench Unit Substack, and we'll hopefully be back with another episode at some point before the Paralympics wraps up. So thanks a lot. Peace out. Take care.